All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, and I'm recording today not from Woodstock, New York, but from Kingston, New York, Woodstock's neighbor to the east. And I'm recording in my new recording studio uh, and office at the Center for Photography in Woodstock in Kingston. Yes. Um, <laughs> at their new home on Dederick Street, um, they actually have two running spaces right now, one on Broadway and this new space that they're building out on Dederick Street that they gave us space for. And um, I want to thank Brian Wallace, the executive director of CPW, and my friend, and Sarah Danziger, the education program manager at CPW, also a friend who have been really wonderful about welcoming photo work into their home space and have just been so generous and gracious. We love those guys. And I think there's a lot of synergy between what CPW does and what PhotoWork Foundation is doing. CPW has been around for decades and we are just uh, babies learning to walk. <laughs> But I think we have a lot to learn from them, and, and they've been just wonderful about sharing knowledge and, and space, as it turns out, with us. So looking forward to a long and wonderful relationship with Center for Photography Woodstock in Kingston. And they do so many amazing things, so uh, check out cpw.org. Yeah, so, oh, and my carpenter in crime, because... <laughs> we, Crime's a we, good word. <laughs> I, I, that makes literally no sense, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like... My when carpenter we were cutting... in crime, I know what... My, I, oh, I have to we think We made a little bit a of a mess. <laughs> I know, my carpenter in crime. I, I got it. I'm going to have to really think about that one. My... <laughs> My co, just let me. Why do I always have to um, overcomplicate it? My co carpenter, <laughs> the guy who built out the space with me, you all know who I mean, for God's sake, <laughs> Mr. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. Oh, hello. Yeah. I mean, CPW, thank you. Uh, it was great being there, putting this room together, which uh, is now a new home for you to record in. It's fantastic. Yep. Love it. Michael, we have so many things to. Okay, I, well, I, do, I don't want to overwhelm. Nobody gets scared. Not that many. That's right. Don't fast forward. I, I, no, I think we have two, three at the most. Take it easy, everyone. Just three. Three things to, to go over before we get to the show. I will just say right off the top, because it's, it's so exciting, that our guest for today's episode is the amazing artist, photographer Jim Goldberg, who I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Yes. Jim resisted. He wasn't ready to talk, <laughs> but he resisted graciously. But um, he has a new book out called Coming and Going that's real tour de force, a real, mm -hmm. I think, going to become like um, other books of Jim's, a real classic, um, something that everyone feels they, they need to have in their library. It's incredibly moving, incredibly engaging, really accessible, but complex. And we talk about that a lot in the episode. 
yeah, this was just a joy for me. But let's let's back up a little and then we'll get back to Jim. Mm -hmm. The first announcement I want to make today is an announcement I've been wanting to, I've I've been waiting for this day for a long time, which is um, the foundation went through a call for applications for our first fellowship program. We got over 200 applications. Uh, Out of that, we chose three people to be our first fellows for our fellowship program, which is a six-month mentorship program, along with a lot of other goodies. And I'm happy, I'm thrilled to say um, we have chosen Molly Darcy, Will Souter, and Brandon Holland. We are so thrilled to have them as part of the PhotoWork family. Molly, Brandon, Will, we, we can't wait to start working with you. And they will be working with incredible mentors, Andrea Modica, Doug Dubois, and Christine Potter. For more information on who was paired with who and to look at the work of our fellows and learn more about them, you know, follow us on Instagram and also go to photowork.foundation. This will all be on the website. It's thrilling. Yeah, your inaugural event. I mean, that's fantastic. So I could talk about them a lot because I, I, you know, seeped in this right now and, and the pairing of fellows and mentors, but... Switching gears a bit, one other thing I do want to mention as we come to the end of the year is we really need and would appreciate, we've said this before, we've done this before, but the support of you all, our listeners, I'll reiterate again what I've said in the past, that we know how many of you are listening. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. And thank you. Yes. <laughs> and yes, and we love you and we feel connected and like we're all part of the same community, but we really need more of your support. I'm going to be honest. I think what happens is you all hear this message from me and Michael and you think, well, I'm going to go make work or I'm going to go to my job or I'm driving in the car and obviously can't do it now or I'm on a walk, or I'm in my studio, or I'm going to pick up my kids, and someone else will do it, and it's okay if I don't do it. That's not Mm. great. That's not helpful to us. If you, I just urge people to take it a little bit more seriously. We're not asking you for any amount of money that would create any sort of even tiny speck of a hardship for you. That wouldn't feel good for us, but Anything you can do, $10, $20, $50 if you're feeling crazy, $100. But $10 from many of you would really feel good to us and make a difference. So, That's a visit to Starbucks. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Please don't take us for granted. It's a, we are a foundation and we rely on support. So even if you're driving in your car right now, Please, please, when you get home, it takes three seconds. Everything is tax deductible. Please just go to the website and donate. I'm, I'm begging you, a year-end donation would really make a difference in the ongoing continued success and strength of the foundation, which is the podcast, the fellowship, and there will be more things to come. The foundation will continue to grow and support our community 
please be a part of that. I'm urging you to not just pass it off to the next person, but be proactive yourself. And as my mother would have said, be a mensch. And um, everything that I use online that asks me for a donation, I do donate. If I use it and get something from it, I donate. It really, it's the I right thing to do. I donate to I'm Wikipedia. I, I just want to say that out loud. <laughs> I do yes. too. No, no, Michael, yeah. I do too. Because I'm, I, I use Wikipedia mm-hmm. all the time. And so when they ask me for a donation... Frankly, I feel like it would yeah. be wrong. And again, I'm sorry, audience. I don't mean to sound holier <laughs> than thou, but I do. Yeah. I feel like it would be wrong not to donate because, you know, they're providing me a service that mm. I use. And for the most part, our listeners are getting a lot of content for free. And we're happy to do that. And I, I don't think giving 10 or $25, you're still basically getting this for free, right? Because the amount that we're giving you doesn't compare to to 10 or $25. But yet, if a lot of you do that, it really makes a difference for us. Yes. And and also, you know, shows the board, right? We have support out there. Yeah. Right. No, it's good. It's good for the, absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, anyone who's ever been in the fundraising world uh, knows that uh, donations beget donations because people like to see that support, and then the board can also fundraise off of that as well. Yep, absolutely. So be a part of the team. Um, Okay, thank you. So moving back to the episode (laughs) and the wonderful Jim Goldberg. I know you really (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Tell me about your thoughts about about the episode. We haven't really talked about it. I found it to be so warm, so engaging, and when you and Jim talk about coming and going, you, you mentioned it was um, a book that's accessible, but also complex. And that, that's sort of a perfect description of this work, because Jim is sort of walking this line of telling an incredibly personal story, but also it's work about storytelling in itself. And that's what's really wonderful about that yep. conversation. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, mm-hmm. I just loved it. Absolutely. So I just want to mention, um, Jim is someone who likes to tap on the table while talking. <laughs> and so at, oh, yeah. at certain parts, you're going to hear a little thumping. <laughs> Don't be alarmed. It's just Jim tapping on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we often, just so Jim doesn't feel singled out, oh, yeah. we often have guests <laughs> who do... Toe tapping, hand tapping. Right, there's exactly a lot a of cup that. Of coffee. I, this one was particularly hard to edit out. So, but Jim, you are not alone. No, um, <laughs> no, and, no. And it for, doesn't hurt the conversation everyone, at all. Yeah, no, and and I've had to train myself. By the way, that's right. It's not like, it's not like I got it right from jump. I've had to train <laughs> myself to to really sort of sit quite still while I'm while I'm talking because, you know, so much of our body movements were, you know, okay. Let's Actually, the nice part in. of it is you can almost visualize sitting at the table with Jim and that, you know, and, and seeing that kind of emphatic sort of, this is what I mean, tap on right, the table. Yep. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I was imagining while I was listening. Yeah, to it. for yeah. sure. Yep. Human. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, look, we've had a long intro here. Um, I'm indulging. I'm basking in my new space, but <laughs> yes. why don't we get to it? So Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Jim Goldberg. Jim, 
Jim Goldberg. Welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I know you're super busy. No, oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we're doing this. Yep, me too. So we have so much to discuss. I've been trying to get you on for a while, but you had resisted my charm. But you have a new book out, and so made sense for you now to do this so we could talk about it. And I'm, I'm so excited to, to talk about it. It's just an incredible achievement. But uh, before we get into that, if you could do what we do on every podcast, which is have the guests tell the listeners about their journey and, and where they were born and raised. Did they study photography in school? Just sort of how you got to where you are. Well, actually going back one step, yeah. You had mentioned I had resisted being on. It wasn't it wasn't the resistance as much to you or talking. It was that I wasn't ready to talk. And I think it's just important for me or and for anybody to, you know, if they put themselves out there to feel confident that they're, you know, saying what they know and being authentic and all those things that are important, you know. I I agree with that. So now I'm ready, I hope. So I was born in New Haven, Connecticut. And and actually, New Haven is, has sort of figured into my work in, in many ways, including a book that I did called Candy. And Candy kind of looks at at kind of the what's happened as New Haven was a was a model city for all of America, and it was supposed to be the you know the shining city on the hill, and and instead it it failed miserably, that and divided the city with freeways and destroyed neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the stuff that I was growing up with. And I think that it affected me and, you know, going forward and, you know, what I studied. And I actually was a, a failed uh, theology major. And it was um, and it was during that time when I was not doing well as a as a as a theology student, I, I started uh, taking a, I took a photography course. And that's when I when I kind of sort of started finding my voice and and that felt right to me and I pursued that since and and I think that I I brought with me those kind of this kind of upbringing about dealing with social justice and inequities and issues about race and class and certainly you know rich and poor the work that I you know the work I did about poverty and wealth in America and then even raised by wolves which talks about you know running away from home and how I ran away a little but really how 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 quickly I wanted to get out of New Haven and and to do anything I could and then and then candy where I go back to New Haven and sort of look at my life and look at two other people's lives and and sort of see how how we all intertwine you know my path has been somewhat circuitous but at the same time it's been pretty clearly uh looking at either other cultures or looking at myself in this new book I just did you know coming and going so let's dive right into sort of the psychology of the way you work. You've talked a lot about, particularly when you're talking about um, your book, Raised by Wolves, and if people don't know this book, we can talk about it in a little bit, but it's extremely well known, and I think most people do know it. But you've been referred to as someone with, with real deep empathy, a connection to people who may be marginalized, um, someone who has the ability to confront things that are really difficult um, with a certain clarity and honesty and directness. And you've also said that some, 
times you feel have felt like an outsider yourself and that that's why you're drawn to other folks who may be considered outsiders outside the sort of middle class life or you know whatever part of society but i'm i'm just wondering where that sense of being an outsider comes from for you well i mean in in some ways everything starts with one's family you know and yep and i think that in my family one of my roles was to just sit and watch and listen and i had an older brother and sister and they were you know they were different than me they were more academic they were more outspoken and social and i think that i was more withdrawn in many ways and so i watched and i listened and i think that you know i felt outside and i think that that informed me to perhaps be more to sensitive to other people who are outside I think it's that's just uh, always been been the way I roll, you know. And I'm not sure if I can make this linkage, but this kind of this this idea of me kind of watching everything in my family or watching everything in the world and listening, and I feel like that's kind of the way that I see. Also, Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, you know how I how I see the world, but also how I also see as an image maker. It's it. There's like a multiplicity of views. Almost, uh, I, I've been describing it more like a montage. You know, is the way I see. You know, taking things from different places and putting them together. And I think that that's one of the ways that I work. That's one of the ways that inspires me is not to, you know, follow a straight tonal, almost musical tonal line. You know, but sort of dips and go lows and highs and and get discordant and somehow that complexity sort of adds up to telling a simple story. <laughs> I mean, a complex, simple story or a, or a complex story in a simple way. Sorry. I don't think, it's not how I would describe your work, but I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think what's striking about your work, all of your work for the most part, is that it is so filled with complexity and the form that it takes is complex because you do use many different styles. Yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. your work is very formal. Sometimes it's it's extremely loose and snapshotty. There's collage, there's text, etc. But with your work, although there's a lot left to the viewer and there's, of course, the kind of ambiguity that makes work artwork and not a postcard, mm. there's still a directness in your work. I don't, when I'm looking at your work, I'm, I'm not thinking, I don't understand. I don't, what is he, I'm not lost. I mean, there's so much work that I look at and I have no idea. If I didn't read the opening essay, I would have no clue. Well, I guess that's what I meant you know? by, by, I right. think that the yes, work is I very accessible, yeah. you know? Right. And I, I mean, that's purposely so. So yes, it's complex in the layers of information or methodologies that I'm using, right? Um, materials. But it's kind of simple in, in its accessibility. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, I mean, e- I think it's not easy. Withhold. It's not like it's easy things, but it's it's done in a way where it's, where it's uh, I don't want to say it's enjoyable, but it's it's not like watching TV and you lose, you, you forget yourself, but it's, I think it's uh, um, it, the sequencing and the flow of it is, is more cinematic than anything. So it brings you in very yeah. quickly. It brings the viewer yeah. in quickly and it keeps no, you in absolutely. there, hopefully, you know. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You and I have talked before. You know, I've told you that I think you're an incredibly confident artist. And I would just say that one of the ways in which I think that manifests is I know a lot of artists who feel out of insecurity that if they don't make the work impenetrable, (laughs) it won't be elevated enough. You know, it won't be... Um, sophisticated enough. And I think one of the wonderful things about your way of working is you do, I think, it seems to me like a lot of the confidence comes from the fact that you are playing with so many different styles and ways of communicating. You have the confidence of knowing that this recipe you're putting together has a million ingredients, right? It's Mm -hmm. like there's so many ingredients. You don't need to hide the meaning from us or make it impenetrable the way a lot of artists feel that they do. So well, at the end of the day, it's like, I know what Jim's saying, I understand. And it it is really pleasurable and really enjoyable, even when you're dealing, you, Jim, are, you know, presenting us with difficult subjects. Yeah, and I think I do it in a way that's, that's you know, it's visually, hopefully appealing, or a, a treat of, in a sense, that you, when you turn the page, you yeah, don't know what sure. you're going to see. But also, yeah. there's, you know, I'm using humor... You know, I mean, mm-hmm. my father, you know, I come in the beginning of the book of this book coming and going, you, you know, you, you know, I'm away and I, and I get a call that my father is sick and I have to go back home. And, but even when I go back home, I talk about, you know, my mother's bad cooking and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's in a way it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a comic relief as much as it is, is that's really what it was like, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, it's a, it's 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 real and and you can you can right. feel it you know you can feel it, it the, the mood is palpable so it's and and i and i like that i like that that happens and you know like we can make that happen by using all these mm-hmm. different materials mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean even in raised by wolves there's a, there's humor i mean and part yeah. of that humor is just the reality of the lives you're looking at have the people have a sense of humor, right? So it comes out in various ways. Yeah. But let's talk, let's, let's just clue people into sort of what we're focused on today, which is your new book, Coming and Going, as you mentioned. And it's, an, you know, just this unbelievable project. So for folks who haven't gotten it, the book yet, please do get it. It just published by Mac. It is a very large book. It's physically... Um, not sure what the dimensions are, but very big. And there's hundreds and hundreds of pictures. Um, there are spreads that have tiny, tiny images in collage form. So it's, you know, it can, it can accommodate hundreds of pictures because it's not all on individual pages. But in true Jim Goldberg form, there's a lot of text, some of it one line, some of it a little bit longer, but not in the form of essays. This is, this is just the kind of text you use, letters, ephemera, etc. And it is a story of your life from the time your father got sick in the 80s to, you know, I guess a couple of years ago when you probably wrapped the project or a no, year ago, to whenever now. it was. No. To now, to now. I mean, okay, the last so. things were made, <laughs> you know, <laughs> were right, right before I went to press. Okay. No, <laughs> so no, to now. No, no. Yeah, no. I mean, I can't imagine doing anything like this. It's incredibly brutally honest, very raw, 
in addition to the loss of your father, the loss of your mother, getting married, giving birth to your daughter, Ruby, who I think figures very, very, very prominently in the book in a way that to me as a, a daughter was just phenomenally moving. The end of your marriage, a new relationship, it, it's just, it's a life story. And yeah, I, I mean, I just can't really wrap my brain around doing something so just opening yourself up to this degree to the world. So how did you decide to do this? And what was the process like? Was it comfortable, uncomfortable, both? Um, yeah, just, just, just curious about the decision to do something so monumental and personal. Well, I didn't intend it to be monumental or personal. When I started it, I, I started it in 1999. And, you know, at, by that point, you know, I was divorced and a single dad and I wasn't going out in the world as much to photograph uh, or to mm -hmm. do, or to do anything. You know, I was I was taking I was working and taking care of my daughter, Ruby, and I was offered an artist residency. So I took it and I brought a pile of stuff, boxes of stuff with me, which were photographs and things I collected and writings and stuff like that. And. I spent a week and put together what would become the start of coming and going. And then over the years, I, I, went, I went to it, and then I came back to it, and then I left it, and then I came back to it, uh, and on and on. And it was hard to finish it for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, life gets in the way is the easiest answer. Mm -hmm. And the longer answer would take a few days, you know. So, <laughs> so I really started working on it again intensely. I, I, I would go on and off with it. And then I started intensely working, I think in 2017. And mm -hmm. then so for the past six years, I've been working to finish it. And I mean, that's the that's the gist of how how it came to be. It's I mean, it, there's, there's 19 versions of the book 19 dummies, you know, I mm -hmm. make I make <laughs> physical maquettes and and also we do it digitally. But, you know, my final maquette is is this, you know, monstrosity of a you know, of a 11 by 14 inch size um, handmade a book with all the pictures that are now in the final book. Um, and kind of wonderful for me to deal with it physically because, again, when I'm when I'm turning a page, there's a you know a microsecond where I can't see what's coming next, and when I do it on a computer, I can't do, I don't have that same experience. You know, it's scrolling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so I really like the physicality of the book. I mean, just as an art object, but also as a as a way to to not be on the screen and and actually make something, which I think was always important to me is making things. I assume that you have people around you to act as as a brain trust as advisors, people you feel you know, understand your work the most, you're the most comfortable with sure. to bounce things off of. Is it more, was it more difficult hearing comments from people, you know, they're commenting on, on things that are so personal or did you, were you able to get some distance in that way or? You know, I, I understand how personal this book is. I think on some level I understand probably and some level I can't see it. It's too close to my face, you know. Mm -hmm. But I do have advisors and they've changed over the years, you know, or I go back, you know, I go back mm -hmm. and forth with people. And I'm really lucky to have them. 
I live yeah, with an advisor. You know, I live with Alessandro Sanguinetti. Right. I mean, it's I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. And the questions that I would often ask them weren't necessarily about me, but it was about telling the story, about how to tell mm-hmm. the story, and strategizing different ways of telling the story and different methods of telling it. And that took time too. And I think that you know the, I think why it took one reason why it was took so long is that it was still in the oven. It it wasn't ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that the people that I that I talk to, and also how I talk to myself, is more more thinking about how what Joan Didion said about like we tell ourselves stories in order to live. You know, mm-hmm. it gets to the point where where the, you know the world is really crazy, and my and lives are and our lives are really crazy. You know, all the ups and downs of this, you know that we go through. And it's really good to have something, in this case, for me, a book in which I can make sense of my life and look at it. Did you learn? Like, did you, you know, and, learn and, things about yourself? Of course. Yeah. Including, you know, that I, I had somehow had the, the patience to, to last, to, you know, so many years in making it. Mm-hmm. That it was worth it for me to do. What are the feelings like coming to the end of doing something like this is it you know i mean i can i can go through a a bit of a depression just if i have something really big i've been prepping for for a while and then whatever it is it could be a lecture it could be a hike i'm scared of because it's probably you know a little beyond my physical means whatever it is like i can have like a little bit of a letdown right a little depression after something what was it like coming to the end of of this process great <laughs> fucking great <laughs> Fant- really i mean it was re- it's a relief i'm i'm like it's yeah it's off my shoulders i have other things on my shoulders now but that's a different right. story you yeah, know? yeah yeah i yeah. mean I, yeah. I i my back hurts a little bit but that's from it but that's fine mm-hmm. but no no depression just uh really uh it's almost like just elation re- yeah and redemption or something i don't know yeah you know, and and also, well, I mean that the way that the book is set up too, which I haven't I haven't explained much, but the last the last pages of the book is like a zooming out of a of a bunch of pictures, and those bunch of mm-hmm. pictures is part of what was on my wall in my studio, which was mm-hmm. about I don't know twenty five feet by ten feet high, and it was just pictures the pictures that I've collected. And so in the book, you, you start off a little bit closer and then you, by the end, you zoom out and it's like how there's just so many pictures. There's so much going on in one life, but it still goes on. And even the ending, even, uh, you know, even on mm-hmm. the back of my book, I'm saying still going. It's just like, it just keeps going. It's all part of the same story. For me, it's all part of my story, you know, mm-hmm. and it's exciting. It's exciting to keep telling it, you know, and be. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course, absolutely. I mean, hopefully. (laughs) You know, know, one thing too, you know, one thing I didn't, yeah, hopefully, but one thing I didn't, I thought I had mentioned to you before, I'm not sure if I did, but that this book, The Last Son, I had done um, Mm -hmm. with Super Labo, which is is also, it's really about the start of my my photography, you know, of Mm -hmm. doing it, taking it seriously, seeing and this is one of the things that got in the way of me finishing coming and going. So I did that. And 
where that book ends is where coming and going begins. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I'm just thinking about continuation. So yeah. that book ends yeah. with with my mother with me saying, I think, good news question mark, and what the good news was. This is a conversation with my parents that's printed in the book. Is the good news we find out later is that I was given money. I was getting a, a, a insurance check from my father's disability insurance. And with that, I started traveling and photographing. Mm-hmm. And it was on mm-hmm. one of these trips that I got a call that my father was sick and I had to come back to, mm-hmm. to visit. And that's where, that's where coming and going begins. So let me ask you a more sort of specific question. Sure. And I think it's something that, I mean, I think everyone who knows your work would, would want to ask you about, um, and that's about using text. And uh-huh. in an interview you did with Sean O'Hagan at The Guardian, you, you said this, there's so much going on in the book, this book, because I uh, collect so many images and then sift through them all to find meaning. Although I have a real love for the power of photography, I also have a sense of deep insecurity that a picture can say it all. I feel I have to add to it in order to somehow grow the work to make it become better art, essentially. So let's just, you know, whatever. Let's just get into the text concept because I think it's become more popular. Maybe my imagination, but I, I think people have become more comfortable using text. Yeah. And when I say that, I do not mean essays. I mean um, the way you use text and... It could even be, there have been some books in the past couple of years that have come out where people have combined their photography with their poetry. You see it in, in different ways, but I'm not talking about the essay that you, that someone writes about your work or, or whatever in a book. So you've been using text for a very long time. As, have your feelings about it changed? I mean, do you feel, you know, fully secure now in this way of working? How do you think about it? I don't know if I ever f- feel fully secure. I think that, you know, I'm filled with doubt all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just the way I roll too. And I, I don't let it stymie me. I, I, I push on through it. I'm disciplined enough, you know, and I, I know myself. Mm-hmm. But that said, I think it's because of that, because of those doubts that I question how I use, I question the ways that I use text and try to experiment and mutate the ways that I do it. It's, it's slight, but there's a constant experimentation as I, as I apply it to new work that I make. So when I started using text, I mean, you know, first of all, I, I, I believe in the kind of, I believe in the beautiful singular image. I really do. I want to keep trying to make those, you know, but I always feel like, like I, as you quoted, I, that there's, that there's something else I could add to it. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like te- text is definitely one way that I, one additive feature and, you know, in, and rich and poor people wrote directly on their photographs. Whereas Mm -hmm. in Raised by Wolves, people wrote on pieces of paper that that I incorporated into the book. Mm -hmm. And so in the first one, in Rich and Poor, the writing directly reflects what the picture is about or doesn't or counteracts it. You know, it, it contradicts it. And in Raised by Wolves, the text is used and pieced together with pictures that may not be the person speaking. And that one mm-hmm. of the reasons for mm-hmm. that was to, it was to protect their identities yeah, because of they were kids. Yep. 
So, you know, by mixing it all up, it, it fictionalizes it in a, in a way that makes it okay that they're not identifiable, at least at the time. Most of the people in Raised, in Raised by Wolves are over 50 years old now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Some of whom I know you still yeah, are in yeah. contact with. Yeah, some have I, passed I, away. I have. Some have. So I don't know if that answers the question about text because, you know, this, I'm doing this new project in Arkansas and... I did this long-ass collage, like 27 feet long collage of a river in which I took just which words, you, I and, love, you know phrase, I love that. words yeah. and phrases from this small town, where this area where I'm working in Arkansas, and, and pieced them together along this, col- this river collage, and, which was called Whirlpool. And I mean, that's like, a, that's like just using pieces of sentences, you know? So mm-hmm. that's another way that I, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to tell us a narrative, use narrative form, and make it so that I take my understanding of it and make it relatable to you, the viewer, you know, and also try to be indigenous to to the place or people that I'm working with, including myself in this book. You asked me a second ago if I if you had answered the question, and I think you, I think the best part of this answer is. As far as, you know, what might be interesting to the people who listen to this podcast is that everything should be a rigorous exercise, right? That nothing should be easy. I mean, you are constantly challenging yourself to come up with the exact right form for the project. So even though you've used text most of your career, if not your whole career, you're constantly changing up how you use it to best suit the project. And you're not going to know that automatically. I mean, these are things that, you know, what makes a great artist, you know, aside from innate talent and whatnot, is working really hard, right? I mean, that's something that I say all the time when I'm talking to folks who are starting out or students, whatever, is you know, don't forget to work really hard, especially when using a camera or particularly a large format camera that can do so much of the work for you. You know, the mental part of it should be grueling to me. And that doesn't mean you don't have moments of great, because I suspect that in your process, there are moments of real flow. And of course, everyone, some of my favorite artists have work that has that, that kind of feeling about it where they were probably letting their inner life, their subconscious guide. So I'm not talking about always being sort of working from a place that's, you know, very didactic or what's the word? I can't think of the word, but, (laughs) but, you know, ultimately a project needs rigor. It needs you need to make decisions, right? And not have sort of just let decisions be made for you. And it's weird how often that seems to happen. But so I actually, I think your answer was really interesting. And and it's great to hear that, you know, that struggle of deciding how to match, you know, it's not just the answer isn't just, yes, I use text and here's why. It's, It's about finding the exact right, way of using it yes exactly and you you i mean you touched on lots of things that you just talked about so i'm i don't know if i yeah. can address them all but um yeah go ahead you know Try. one one <laughs> i mean i 
you know, I go out in the world and I, let's say I document it with a camera or a film, you know, or movie making a video or something or a film. And then I come back in the studio and that's where I make things. I look at them, mm -hmm. you know, I put them on mm -hmm. the wall or I mm -hmm. physically work on them or I color them or paint them or whatever. That thing that I do is like play. And I, you know, I'm knocking on wood now that it doesn't stop, but I tend to be able to continue to play. Yeah, which is amazing. And, what a gift. Uh, you know, knock on wood. And so that playfulness one helps the ride, you know, that because, yeah, of course. because I, I start, I, I honestly, I start the play, I start the play with, with doubt. Oh, you know, mm -hmm. whether, whatever my doubts are, but then I push yep. through it, you know, and rigor and discipline and I push through it and I play. And then the other thing that sometimes, well, not sometimes often works with me is that I have, you know, I use my intuition. I have no choice but to use my intuition. It's mm -hmm. just what I have. It's one of the strengths that I have. So when I'm using my intuition and I'm playing, then then sometimes that flow is at its height. And, you know, time goes very quickly then. And uh, I run out of time because I want to keep doing it. And so when I, you know, and sometimes I'll get that if I'm sequencing in a book. Because I'll think of new ways of creating uh, um, the uh, an experience. So I, I have books that I make are accordion books, leopardellas, so I can cut pages out and replace them and move things around in a in an effortless way. Well, not effortless. It hurts my shoulders sometimes, but you know I move <laughs> it around and. I have a sensory experience that's completely different and that gives me another way of thinking of the approach of how to tell that story. I mean, I've told you that I think of this book a lot. It reminded me of certain type of jazz, which of course you automatically told me you think of it more like punk rock, which I totally understand. But I'm going to stick with my jazz thing where it really reminds me of when you're listening to, whether it's John Coltrane or Dave Brubeck or whoever, these are just people I like to listen to, and a song starts and you know the song, you hear the bones of like Camp Town Races or whatever the heck it is, and then they're off, right? And the, the bones of the song, the melodies is gone, and we're into this just kaleidoscopic sort of <laughs> crazy space and then other people in the band are soloing and it's gone just, you know, from a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we're off into outer space. And the next thing you know, somehow it comes back and, and you hear the melody again to the song that you know, and you're, you're back in that space and you get it, you understand it all. And that, that's how I felt about this book. And I think that that is so much about what you're saying. It's like you build a structure, it's a sound structure, then you get to play and trust your intuition. And even though you have doubts, you push through them and you trust to play and have fun that it's going to work out. And guess what? It worked out. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. I think I really, really hope people hear this and think about whether that way of working can translate to their, their process a bit, or they can get something, something out of that. I mean, you, t you 
talk, you know, speaking of music and jazz, I mean, I am involved with jazz here and at the San Francisco Jazz Center. So I'm, a, you know, it's, it is part of what I listen to, but I, I listen to all kinds of music and it influences how I'm working during the day. And oh, wow. That's, that's great. So, yeah. uh, like my daughter, Kat, she was like, she looked at my Spotify numbers of like how many different things I listened to. And she was, mm-hmm. I don't know if she was impressed. I think she was impressed. I don't know. Of wow. Like, you know, way to wow, go. You know, like, she's a teenager. Yeah, isn't exactly. She? Exactly. You know? <laughs> and so, so uh, there are moments where, you know, she, she understands <laughs> how I'm okay. So <laughs> the old guy's okay. So. <laughs> No, but I, and I always think about when I make, when I'm making work, be it an exhibition or, or a book or, or anything is, is about music and about the musicality, the tones, which I started talking about earlier, you know, I think today, the tones in, in a, in a book and how I don't want it to be atonal. I really want to change it up some. So sometimes it will have a, it might have a melody in there and then it would get discordant like punk or discordant like jazz. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it will bring in something from left or right field, you know, that you weren't expecting. I remember, you know, one show I did with Raised by Wolves in which I played opera, you know, hmm. uh, which was, um, you know, the opposite of the music that you would think of with these kids. But there was something about, you know, the operatic story that, that mm-hmm. seem resonant like, of with, course. with with yep. with them, you know, age old age old story about children being cast out by their parents. Opera, yep. opera represents those long yeah, long term stories tragic. That, we tell, that we tell each other. You know, one thing that I really love about this project and is also really prevalent in your new work in Arkansas, which I had the pleasure of seeing some of. I know it's a big project. I saw some of it at the High Museum in Atlanta uh, a year ago. Maybe a little you, longer. Maybe a little longer. Yeah, maybe a little longer. I, I have the worst sense of time. Anyway, the combination of, in this book, there's not very many of them. With the Arkansas Project, there's, I think, quite a bit more. But the mixing of very formal images mm. with very informal images. I touched on that a little bit earlier when I was just describing the project. But can you tell me a bit about how you feel about making like the individual image and how you decide, like in this book, there really are not that many of these very, very formal images. And as I said, in the Arkansas project, there are quite a few from what I've seen of these Mm -hmm. very straight Mm large format, mm-hmm. more confrontational portraits, things like that. So, you know, how do you think about the different types of work that you make formally? Well, there, I mean, again, they're kind of all ingredients in, the, in mm-hmm. the recipe. Do you prefer, like, making one type of picture over another? I know that's a silly question, but I'm just pushing you. No, no, but I, but I try to play and do both. So if I even if I'm taking a formal picture, you know, I'll go and I'll I'll turn the camera so that it's crooked, you know. Mm-hmm. I, rem- mm-hmm. I I remind myself to do that all the time. Maybe it will work, maybe it won't, but it it seems that it just that it seems like it's a possibility that it could give another feeling, and mm-hmm. feelings add up to create a larger, you know, for the larger good perhaps. 
So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm taking from here, I'm taking from there. And a formal picture has, it tells the viewer, it tells us one thing, it it resonates in us in different ways than a, a more chaotic picture or a collage. So I try to pace them through my work so that you, when you need to be drawn in and have that kind of, you know, formalistic, not formalistic, when you, when you have that, you know, four by five, large, large format, Disfar- Michael Disfarmer like pictures that you're looking at of mm-hmm. that and of people in Arkansas, it's because I did a pop up studio like he did, you know, or or like the Prellers who lived on a houseboat in the community where I was photographing. They did the same thing. So out of respect for them too and for the community, I wanted to make pictures that they would want to put on their walls. And, you know, an out-of-focus picture and, or a crooked, a crooked picture of people don't want for their walls. So, this is a, so that was a decision, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that would be the best for the community. That would best, it would be best for mm-hmm. me to be able to get access to the community by taking their pictures. And then also as, a, as an easy, a fairly easy way to give back to the community. When did you decide that? That's that's so interesting. I mean, decide just what? talk a little bit about. Uh, sorry about setting up a, a, a studio and. Ah, um, well, because I was, know. I had this commission through the hate, the High Museum, uh, for their picturing the South collection, and and I decided to, I decided, not in a very direct way, to work in Arkansas. It had, you, one had to photograph in the South, so. Um, I decided to work in Arkansas. One one thing and one person led to another person to another thing, and I ended up in these two towns in the Delta area. And and so I've I settled in there. I've been working there since uh, since exactly at the beginning of the pandemic since 2020. So I'm hoping to go back in the spring, and and I don't know if I'll finish up, but perhaps finish up the project. And so I decided. And looking at the pictures that they knew in their history of this farmer's photographs, which was in Heber Springs, which is not very far away from where these towns are, and also the Prellers who lived in the town themselves and did the same, a similar kind of studio setup on their boat, I decided to mirror that, mimic that. Yeah, that's so brilliant. You know, and... And I did it again. It, it was the day that I got there was the day that, that it was obvious that the pandemic had started and that I didn't know if I would be able to get back home because it was, you know, didn't know if airlines were closing down or mm-hmm. would I have to rent a car. And so I just pushed on working there, knowing, feeling like the world was closing in and at the same time, you know, just focused on getting these portraits done, you know, and I've done it a couple of times and I may do it again. It's completely enjoyable. You know, assuming that the lighting is right and, you know, the camera's set up perfectly and all that kind of stuff. That's important. Well, it's a great project. And once well, again, I mean, you know, you mention enjoyable, fun, play. I mean, these are such important things for people to keep in mind. You know, it's important to love what you're doing. And yeah. it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle, but man, is it important. So let me just ask you about working with Mac, because I think this was the first time that you worked with them on, on this book. And, you know, what, what, whatever you feel comfortable saying. But, yeah, what was that exp- experience like? Because I, I mean, personally, have just a ton, ton of respect for Michael Mack and for Morgan 
Crowcroft Brown, I think I said that right, and the folks over there who just do a tremendous job. Well, actually, I have worked with Michael earlier on. You did? Well, on, on what? Well, Raised by Wolves, I did with Walter Keller at Scalo. Right. And yep. it's because of Walter Keller that we have so many photo books now. And that's a whole other story why. But he started Scalo and was putting out these, what I think are, are pretty seminal books. And Michael, when Michael knew that he wanted to become, Michael was studying architecture, I think, and then he was a lawyer, but he really wanted to, to do something with books, bookmaking. And I think that he... And Walter Keller, when Scala went under, was uh, absorbed by Steidel. Um, Steidel printed right. all of Scala's books. So then now Steidel became the publisher, and Michael worked at Steidel. And That's there was right. And there was a Mac Editions, and so I did a Mac edition with him of Open Sea. I did a special edition of those with him. And then, I guess, I don't know when we started when we committed to working on this book together, maybe it was 2017, but you know, it's probably that long. I mean, he, Michael was very mm -hmm. patient, very supportive yep. of me. Like I cannot complain in any way. No, that's um, wonderful. You know, so that, that went really, really well. That went really, really well. And you know, Morgan is fantastic and you know, his team is fantastic. They're, they're just it's just a, it's a really smart uh, business model, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, do they? There's other people that put out good books too, but you know, Michael, Michael certainly, you know, has has done really well with um, with many of the books that he's published. You know. Yeah. No, I just um, just got a copy of Ramel Ross's new book, which uh -huh. they just um, published, and yep. So it feels like. They are really just exemplary. Doing, mm -hmm. we're you know, I mean, the the photo book is the gold, right? So, in my opinion, anyway. Well, there's there's a lot of well, photo books. Yeah, now. there's too many photo, there, photo books. So there, I mean, there, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a whole other problem. And so you know, how to sort of navigate the through the uh, the, the amount of them is is always. There, there are a lot, but I've, I've reconciled myself to that. And I, I, I think that at the end of the day, it's, it's a really good problem to have. There are very few exhibition opportunities and, you know, in the history of photography as a art form, there have been very few exhibition opportunities, but there were quite a few more a number of years ago during my 20, 21 year career doing this at one point, there were quite a few more and they've, they've shrunk down. And so I'm mm -hmm. um, happy to uh, see the photo book taking the place of, and, and frankly, no one, you know, so few people get to see exhibitions that it's, it's really wonderful right. To, right. to have the book. And in a lot of ways, this is, you know, the way I feel about streaming, right? Like, I love a movie theater. I mean, I, I love going to the movies. I love the whole ritual of it. But, you know, when I was younger, there were so many more theaters where you could see the type of movies I was interested in seeing, and there's just not very many now. And so I'm I'm glad I can see those movies on, you know, whatever, Apple, you know, Apple TV or... Netflix or whatever it is. And even if I have to wade through a lot of junk, I'm still still 
grateful for that opportunity. So as someone with piles of photo books around, yes, there are a lot. So many gems. So I feel really blessed. Anyway, Jim, thank you. I'm sorry I ended this on a lecture from me, but thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Oh, yeah, no, and it's a pleasure. I don't know if I, I hope you, I, Jim. you know, I don't know if there's anything that, that we forgot to talk about. Well, there's always a million things that, especially as someone who's had such an incredible career, that word is always so strange. But as you, I'm, I'm up for a part two. We can go back and do a retrospective. I, um, I love your work. I, I really, really love talking to you. So it, oh, I, I, you. I'll start working on you for a part two. And, and, <laughs> Good luck. Uh, we'll see when, <laughs> when I wear you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, but everyone should get this book. No, no, thank you. Um, the book's called Coming and Going. It's so special, people. So please, please get it. And and yeah, Jim, take care. Can, can um, I ask you a question? Uh, you're saying goodbye of course. to me, but can I ask you a question? Why do you think it's so special? I think for the reasons we talked about in the beginning. And this is very important to me. I mean, I'm not well, asking for a compliment here. I'm just curious of what, no, you, no. what, I, what the components are that make it. Yeah. I think the fact that it walks the line so perfectly of being at times and in ways enigmatic and open for interpretation, but ultimately so clear that and it's, again, it goes back to that sort of jazz metaphor. I don't know if it's a metaphor, but, you know, that we get taken on this incredible journey. We're not always sure where we're going, but we wind up someplace clear and relatable and solid and that the journey was beautiful and moving and that, like life, it's very, very, very funny very sad, extremely moving. Whether you're a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, whatever you are, there's a place for you in this book. So it has a universal quality, I guess. Oh, definitely, uh -huh. without a doubt. Uh -huh. So, you know, and maybe you and I have certain overlap in our lives that, you know, make me relate to certain things a bit more, but I, I don't think so. I mean, I think we do, yes, but I don't think that that's, that's it. I think it's, it's just, you know, it's a book about family and about a life. And right. I, I think, again, that it's generous in its willingness to be both generous and confident in its willingness to be clear about what ultimately it's saying, even if what it's saying is, is open-ended like life is, right? Even if there are no answers, it's not about that, right? It's just about showing a journey, but showing that journey clearly. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, there's no answers. It's just a, you know, history and memory. I mean, that's what this book is about, mm -hmm. you know, in some of the ways. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's a, it's this fluid thing. It's a, it's a, it's not, the truth is not a fixed, it's not fixed, you know, it's, no. it's an approximation. So that's what this book is. is a, it's an approximation of my life in a way. But as you said, and, and other I guess, people's, and other right? people's lives, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm happy to talk about it because I loved it. So I loved it. I love it. All right. Well, again, you 
take care of yourself. Say hello to Alessandra for me and Kat and Ruby. And um, I look forward to seeing you one of these days. Okay. Thanks, Sasha. <laughs> okay, Jim. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. So just a shout out for our sponsor, Picture House in the Small Dark Room. They've been an incredible partner for us this um, season for the podcast. And we're just so grateful to have them. And not just because they're sponsoring, but because we really love those guys. And we're actually doing a lot of stuff with them that we'll announce later, things that have to do with some programs the foundation is going to launch. So it's, it's really gone from just sponsoring the podcast to a much deeper relationship. And I think that just says a lot about their values, how supportive they are of the foundation, of the PhotoWork Foundation, and, and how much they want to help out. And as everyone knows, I, I've been over there a lot to discuss things with them, and I have artists who print with them, work on various posts, projects with them. And it, it's just everyone loves hanging out over there. At the lab, It's you say lab, it sounds so sterile, but it's like this really cool space. It's on a number of floors and in Chelsea in New York. Yeah, they call it their studio. Right. And they're an incredible resource. It's a film lab. They do scanning, printing, retouching. They sell film. And of course, the book, they have a bookstore with live events. uh, And they have a mini lab where you can have prints made of all different sizes. Love the mini lab. (laughs) (laughs) They are Picture House in the Small Dark Room. Their website is ph. T-S-D-R for Picture House, the small darkroom.com. And so is their Instagram, P-H-T-S-D-R. Uh, and you can check out the Instagram or the website to see if they're having specials or what's going on at the bookstore. And again, it's, it's an incredible place to have in New York. And you don't have to be in New York. You know, you can send them in films, mm-hmm. start a relationship with those guys. They will take care of you. I promise. That's who they are. They are That's really right. committed to, to doing a great job for everyone, whoever you are, whether you're a big shot or a small <laughs> shot. So, um, <laughs> so check them out. Absolutely. PhotoWork with Sasha Wolf is a production of the PhotoWork Foundation. Executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and the associate producer is Taylor Selsback. The show is also produced and edited by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. Music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show and wish to find out more about the foundation, please visit photowork.foundation and be sure to subscribe and review with all the stars on your listening platform.